Welcome to the Gray Faction Podcast, where we discuss mental health, pseudoscience, conspiracy theories, informed consent, and the educated consumption of mental health care. Gray Faction covers multiple sensitive topics, such as sexual abuse, physical violence, and medical abuse. Discretion is advised. Hello, hello. Uh, my name is Hadrian. I am a member of the Gray Faction Leadership Council. And my name is Evan Anderson. I'm the director of Gray Faction. And my name is Sam, and I'm also a member of the Leadership Council of Gray Faction. So welcome to the very first episode of the Gray Faction podcast. Uh, this is something that um, we are kind of just jumping right into and are really excited about doing. My vision here is that we discuss what we do. And I feel there's not a lot of podcasts covering the topics that we cover. And even if they are, they're not covering them with the care and sensitivity that we would cover these topics. Uh, so Great Faction is incredibly important to me and it's incredibly important to the overall goals of fighting against pseudoscience and overall just panics in health and well-being everywhere. And Grey Faction brings together a lot of things that plagued my childhood and also just are incredibly relevant as healthcare, as mental health care tries to rebrand itself and sort of hide its sins. And we want to really try to hold a light to the sins that continue to take place in mental health care. Absolutely. Some people might be asking, what is Grey Faction? Uh, so we're a campaign of the Satanic Temple dedicated to ending the ongoing Satanic panic in mental health care. Uh, we are the only remaining international organization dedicated to ending the Satanic panic. And of course, we are, as far as I know, the first to create a podcast about it as well. That's just great. We, we have all this, this is rich information. We should you do something with it. Definitely. And I think the part that is most important to me is really advocating for the victims of these harmful practices, especially recovered memory therapy, which leads a lot of patients to recover memories of satanic abuse, alien abduction, CIA mind control, uh, reptilians. And as we know, all of these things have been debunked. It seems kind of nebulous when you listen to what we are talking about, what we're discussing, and there's a, a real bias when it comes to medical professionals that they are always trustworthy or they're always not trustworthy. And the reality is that you just need to understand where someone's coming from or what they're trying to tell you and what they are discussing. Uh, by and large, I feel doctors of all stripes are largely trustworthy, but there are people who are bad actors and they can cause an outsized amount of harm. And within, within the scope of Grave Faction, we are discussing mental health professionals who hitched to a wagon that was full of bullshit from the beginning, and they have proceeded to continue to follow down that path and do very dangerous, damaging things. These are This is the reality for many people. There are people who are out there who harm their patients, and we have to talk about it. And we have to talk about the broader ski, the broader. Uh, we have to talk about the broader spectrum of why these things ever occur. Absolutely, yeah. We're not anti-therapy. We're not anti-psychiatry. We're not 
trying to convince you to be afraid of your therapist. There are lots of great therapists out there. Uh, lots of us can benefit from therapy. We're for you know evidence-based mental health care that's not provably harmful. And we are working to create a better mental health field by by ridding it of, of some of these harmful practices like recovered memory therapy. So, so Evan, what is a gray faction? We've, we've cut, talked about some of it, but like, why are we, why, how did we get here? It's a great question, Hadrian. Um, so you might've heard of the satanic panic. Uh, so this was a period of time, primarily in the United States uh, and during the eighties and nineties, when there was this widespread panic that there were these satanic cults kind of behind your couch, in your police department, in your government, uh, kind of everywhere, practicing bizarre rituals in the woods, kidnapping children, drinking their blood, sacrificing animals, all of that horrific stuff. Right. So- and I really feel like it began with kind of Sybil and the Satan Cellar. Um, you know, Satan Cellar was in 1972. Sybil was, I believe, 1973. And then it kind of came to a head around Michelle Remembers in 1980, um, which kind of led to what is kind of colloquially known as the McMartin preschool trial, Um, something that, you know, horrified everyone in the community. Everybody was kind of surrounding this one case. It's, It's known as the longest case in American history. It was the most expensive. And at the end of it, no one was even convicted. Yeah, and the McMartin case really became kind of a template for all of these other cases that started popping up with very similar accusations, right? There's kind of one accusation that pops up of uh, sexual abuse by a uh, a preschool uh, teacher or a daycare uh, provider, and suddenly it snowballs into dozens of people being accused of abusing hundreds of children, and then these bizarre ritualistic elements even supernatural elements often come into play as well. And, you know, the McMartin case is a, is a great example of something that just kind of collapsed under its own weight, uh, because in the end, there was just really no evidence to, to work from. Hey, you were going to say something? Oh, yeah. So I, I wanted to say that the satanic panic started a little bit earlier. It's sort of this... I feel in things that I've read, and I would like to do a full episode on these origins... But in the 1960s to 70s, there was a new age revolution in in, uh, religion and general concept of understanding being in place in your your position in the world. People very dismissively say it's just it was just hippies, but it was a lot of new age experiences, expanding worldviews and adopting new religious systems. And it was a kind of a clash between evangelical Christianity versus, well, the rest of the world exists and they're not evangelical Christians. And these things mesh together, which caused a sort of a maelstrom of conflict in what is real, what is true, what is good, what is bad, how do we exist? And in, in, an, in a post-World War II Cold War mindset of what Christian nationalism could be is that all of these new age things were bad. Counter uh, the juxtaposition of with that is also the uprise of more fantastic and deliberately shocking literature, as in the case of the novel The Exorcist, which was later made into a film, The Exorcist, 
uh, which has a a heavy burden on it for kicking off a lot of the satanic panic. And so a new age worldview, a broad scope of religions conflicting with evangelical nationalism caused this sort of weird situation in which people were trying to reconcile why people were doing this and also towing sort of a uh, religious or party line when it comes to discussing these topics. And all of this came to a head and that's why you get sort of a satanic panic. And that's, that's, that's currently like my reading on the situation and I think it's really accurate. But if I'm wrong, I'm always welcome to push back on that. It's sort of like, for me studying these things, I feel this is where we, how we got here. And when you have that kind of just reactionary force against the idea that there are things that are not a Christian worldview occurring, imagery that is upsetting, people who are very susceptible to both of these things, and people who can be easily outraged by these things, you get this need to manufacture a, a solution or an answer. And I think the concept of ritualized abuse in the way that we are going to discuss it through further episodes of this podcast, I think stem from this idea of trying to reconcile changing culture, changing interest, and this pushback against what is taught to be correct versus the lived experiences of others coming into conflict. And that for me is, I think, why it started. And I also think it's why it's still happening today. Yeah, it it is really fascinating to look at all of the kind of elements that came together and still come together to give us the force uh, that we call the satanic panic. Lots of others have looked back on, you know, the rights revolutions, the Cold War, children being sent more to daycares, kind of a sort of a lot of societal kind of anxiety around that. There's a lot of anti-communist hysteria kind of folded into this kind of stuff. And frankly, anti-Semitic hysteria as well, that that is part of this. Uh, I'm sure in in future episodes, we'll be talking about the blood libel um, and its connections to satanic panic and QAnon in more detail. Also, there's the the fact of uh, the Church of Satan in, uh, in the 60s. It actually became a thing. Satanists were more, you know, identifiable and, and, and kind of actually existed in a sort of solidified form by this. So then that made them more of a uh, sort of concrete target, right, to direct your sort of anger or whatever at, right? Tons of things kind of came together and snowballed into the satanic panic. But the thing that people almost always point to is the book Michelle Remembers. This was up in Canada a psychiatrist named Lawrence Pazder had a patient named Michelle Smith who came in and underwent hypnosis. And the book tells of their working together to quote unquote, recover memories of bizarre uh, satanic rituals. And, you know, I, I think this book is one in particular, I think that illustrates the Christian undertones or frankly, overtones in a lot of the satanic panic stuff. Because, I mean, the book involved, you know, literal appearances of Satan and Jesus who rescued her from the devil, right? And this wasn't just some, like, random book, right? Uh, This was a very popular book. They went on a book tour. 
I believe they went on an episode of Oprah. They went on this whole tour where everybody just kind of believed what they were saying. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that we look back on now and can kind of laugh at. But it was and is very serious. Uh, there are real victims that end up getting caught up in this. And that's really who we fight for. Yeah. And I, I, I like to point out that Padser actually asked the archdiocese to, if, if he could pursue this, this path of interrogation and uh, study with Michelle. And that gave him, that they approved of it. And it gave him this sort of like clearance to do some really heinous recording of fact. Uh, it, like it wasn't, it wasn't fact. It was constantly trying to extract more heinous imagery and, and supposed memory from Michelle. And I think that cannot be uh, stricken from this is the later involvement of Padser and Michelle. They, they eventually married and it, it becomes a, a really gross story to consider and I don't know when our podcast will air but the co-founder of the Satanic Temple Lucian Greaves has a uh, the, the Michelle remembers the porn parody and in the month of August there will it will finally find a home on TST TV and you can watch it the live table read now in its recorded form on TST TV. We're actually going to have an event for it. It's going to be super cool, but it is sort of making, it's, it's mocking what happened in this book, but it should not ever diminish the damage that it caused because it was the, the gateway to continued abusive therapy. And there were other people who were concurrent with Padzer doing similar things, but Padzer's mark on this field is just undeniable. Right, exactly. Speaking of similar things, uh, so Michelle remembers 1980, um, McMartin preschool trial, 1983, ISS MP and D, 1983, the International Society of the Multiple Personality and Dissociation started. Same year as the McMartin preschool trial, which I feel like is just a continuance of the satanic panic. They're really pursuing the satanic panic today. And of course, they eventually in 1994 became the ISSD, the International Society for Dissociation. And today they are known as the ISSTD, the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation. They really came together, I believe it was at Rush Hospital in Chicago. They started their dissociative disorders unit, which was an utmost disaster, caused multiple, I believe, fatalities. People were committing suicide. People were not getting better. And eventually it closed and it was an utmost disaster. Um, This organization has a really, really troubling history. They peddle unscientific therapeutic practices. They associate with, quite frankly, delusional practitioners who are telling their patients the most shocking things you've ever heard of in your entire life, Um, many of whom, most of the founders have been sued multiple times. Um, Many of them have been chased out of their state, out of their country, if you consider people like Colin Ross, who is not allowed to practice in Canada anymore, and have been the subject of censure and discipline for their practices. And I would add not enough censure and discipline. One of the main co-founders, or perhaps he can be called the founder, of what is now called the ISSTD. It's a group we'll be coming back to over and over and over. But his name is Bennett Braun. He's been sued 12 or 13 times now. One of 
of the most famous or infamous cases is that of Patricia Burgess, who was being treated by Bennett Braun, came to believe that her own parents were part of a satanic cult. For example, that her father was feeding her human uh, meatloaf, um, which Braun actually had sent to a lab and tested for human tissue. Results were negative. And uh, he, she, she sued and uh, won a settlement in the millions. There's a great article in Chicago Magazine. If you type in Chicago Mag, Patricia Burgess or Bennett Braun, uh, I'm sure that will come up. That is one of the best examples probably of the sort of typical course of what happens uh, when people go into therapy with what we call a uh, conspiracy therapist, uh, which is our term for these therapists who believe in satanic ritual abuse and related conspiracy theories and who practice recovered memory therapy, which all too often really just serves to provide manufactured evidence uh, for their pre-existing conspiracy theories. Yeah, and, and this this and for people listening, this is still happening now. Like we exist, Great Faction as an organization exists because this stuff never stopped. A lot of people, when they consider the satanic panic, they think, oh, that was a 90s, 80s, 90s thing. It's over now. We're better. No one's no one believes satanic ritual abuse happens, right? And we have concrete evidence that there are medical professionals <laughs> in the world right now who are treating people you may know who believe that these things occur. And they are training future generations of therapists to also look for these things, make extrapolations, and ultimately harm their patients because they are reading into a situation and, it, and inserting information into their lives and into their, into their traumas, into their histories that isn't there, but complicates everything in their lives and can destroy their lives. And that's why Grave Action is here. And I think we should really, it, 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 can, it can seem very simplistic and we want to think that, oh, this is just some, some trite 90s thing that happened, but it's really not. And that's why we really, really need to talk about what does Grave Action do? Why are we talking on this podcast? What do we actually do with our, our days? It's a great question. One thing I want to point out is I want to underscore the point that you made that this is still going on. Oftentimes, the way that it continues is through the use of changing terminology. Uh, so we mentioned, for example, the change in the name of the ISSTD to become what it is today. Um, another example is uh, the changing of what was called multiple personality dis disorder to now dissociative identity disorder. There were I think a multitude of reasons for, for the change, but one of them was how closely linked MPD was to the satanic panic. And we also see changes in other terminology like satanic ritual abuse becomes just ritual abuse, right? Or organized abuse. Oftentimes they'll create these kind of umbrella terms like that uh, to kind of fold everything into it and provide cover for for their conspiracy theories and this again isn't just conjecture we're not just saying this we are every chance we get we're quoting these people's exact words they're expressing themselves and we're just telling you what they have said and citing 
the source at the same time. So what do we do to fight the satanic panic today? We really aim to instill the reforms that should have happened back in the 80s and 90s. We should have had licensing boards completely ban the practice of recovered memory therapy. Um, it's been proven without a doubt, not only from the retractors that contact us and tell us and, and have told many others what has happened to them through, the, um, through recovered memory therapy, the things that they came to believe that they now know are false, the things that people came to believe that are physically impossible to have happened, past life regression, for example, or experiencing past lives um, being, being an example, um, which is done through uh, uh, past life regression. We push for licensing boards to ban bad therapy. And these things should be banned already, but they're not. Another thing we do is advocate for reform in continuing education. Um, so for anyone unfamiliar, if you're a licensed professional, like a doctor or a, a psychologist or a social worker, every couple of years or so, you have to complete a certain number of um, continuing education hours. This is basically coursework or attending presentations or even delivering presentations. Um, you have to complete a certain, a certain number of hours of, of those things uh, in order to renew your license. And it's a great way, in theory, for keeping the field in check, for keeping everybody up to date on the science, on what's been debunked, on what theories are outdated, what new theories have sprung up. But unfortunately, these continuing education presentations can be a conduit for promoting and propagating more of the satanic panic hysteria. So at the ISSTD, for example, there have been presentations that openly promote this nonsense about satanic ritual abuse, CIA mind control experimentation as an ongoing thing, even alien abductions, even reptilians are, are common topics in, in these kind of presentations. Um, so we advocate for reform in continuing education, and that's primarily through lobbying the American Psychological Association um, and other associations that oversee these credits to actually, you know, police police the field and police these presentations to make sure that they're that they're upholding the the association's own standards. Right, and I feel like another really important thing that we do is our bio writing. So on grayfaction.org, which is our website, we have tens and dozens of names that are, it's a big list of conspiracy therapists. And you can go yourself onto the website, um, grayfaction.org. And at the top, there's a conspiracy therapists section, who are the conspiracy therapists. And you'll get a huge list of names that our volunteers meticulously document, along with quotes that they've actually said, you know, I, I just pulled it up here and there's one that I, I like to quote extensively to people who ask, why do we do what we do? And it's by Eileen Aveny, and she goes, mental illness like schizophrenia is, or another medical problem is the result of sin, generational sin or arson, which is, it's horrible to tell a patient, you know, your schizophrenia is the result of your sin or, or generational sin. And that's just the beginning of these kinds of things that they tell people. And I think that's a really, really important thing of what we do, exposing exactly what they are saying. Another person that comes to mind is people like Neil Brick, who, you know, he believes that he was a super soldier in Europe. He believes he killed people. He believes he raped people. While I believe he says it was a a dissociated state that he was in. He was in another one of his personalities and he did all of these things. And a lot of the times I, you know, I, I read them pretty often and 
I'm just, I'm shocked at all the quotes. And it's something that I send to people often. And I say, you know, these people are licensed, you know, Neil Brick is still licensed. He, the licensing board in, it was Massachusetts, right? He, they interviewed him and they were like, well, you know, sound, sounds good. <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. And I think that's a really important thing that we do as well as just the, the peer advocacy. So when we get retractors that contact us, they're, they're often, and it's really unfortunate, but they are in crisis. They are suicidal and they don't feel like they can go to therapy anymore because they've just been abused by therapy. They've been through processes like recovered memory therapy. They've been processes through hypnosis. They've recovered memories that they've come to be false. And often they feel a great sense of betrayal. They feel like they can't go back to therapy. Um, and that's a lot of what I do for Grave Action is I talk to a lot of these retractors and I say, you know, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. These things are not your fault. And these therapists, they did something really horrible to you. And for me, that's one of the most, I hesitate to be corny, but one of the most beautiful things that we do is just tell people that they're not alone because that's often what I hear from retractors is they feel like they're a great, they feel like a great sense of loneliness, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. People need, need to feel like they're not alone. They need to feel like they belong and that they're not broken or that their problems are not a fault that can't be overcome or understood. And a lot of the thing, a lot of the therapy that we highlight as being bad treats people like they are fundamentally broken on a level that they can never control, fix, or change. And it's it's not good. And and a lot of a, a lot of pushback we get is like, well, Grey Faction is a campaign of the Satanic Temple. What do Satanists have to do with any of this? And I think Satanists are kind of the best non-theistic satanists which are which is the satanic temple it is a organization of non-theistic uh satanists uh what what they can provide is an understanding that bad things happen reality is here there's no mythological force impacting your mental health it is worth challenging these things with honesty and openness and an understanding that everything is more complex and all understanding needs to be further pursued and studied and understood. The, the TST comes from a, there is a highly scientific basis for our understanding of the world. And when you remove the rigorous scientific protocols for understanding the world and including people's mental health and their well-being, it causes these problems. So Satanists in this in this context are uniquely uh, the best option for exploring it because they know firsthand how this gets used against them and how it gets used against others. We study the satanic panic. We study not just what happened in the 20, 20th century, but we study what happened hundreds of years before. These things are not new. These systems that we are fighting against are not new. They have existed in perpetuity 
whenever someone thinks someone else is different or a concept is unwelcome. And that is what Satanism, as it stands in a non-theistic tradition today, is pushing against the idea that there are just things that are understandable, un uncomprehensible or incomprehensible others in the world and that you must beat them down. And even in mental health care, where we want people to be understood, where we, where we believe, we truly think people should be safe to discuss who they are, what's going on in their lives and what's happening, they are beaten down yet again by someone else's agenda. And that's not okay. And it's something that we will firmly fight against. Yeah, I think there's something special about a sort of alliance between Satanists and victims of bad therapy. It's kind of the, um, the scapegoats, uh, so to speak, lining up with, uh, with the people who are harmed by superstition and, and pseudoscience um, in the form of bad therapy. I'm really proud of the, the work we've done to help cultivate a community for retractors, for people who have been through this and maybe had no idea that this was a thing until they found our website. We've had people who just Google their therapist and find our page on them. And then they, they you know, things kind of start to click um, and they realize you know, they, were, they were lied to, not given informed consent, and that their therapist believes some frankly bizarre things. And there's people who uh, you know, have, have been through it and got away from it and are ready to revisit the topic and start sorting out what happened while they were in therapy and they discover our site that way. And, you know, just, it's a, it's, it's hard to describe the feeling of like pointing out to somebody that they're not the first to have gone through this at all. There are dozens and dozens of others that we know of and uh, hundreds, even thousands um, that we don't know of who, you know, can, can all support one another. It's really a, a nice, a nice thing, I think. Um, and it really strengthens our resolve to be advocates for them um, and to help try and change the landscape. It is, it is funny, some of these therapists, the things that they say about us and our work, you know, surmising that we are uh, covering up our own crimes, you know, it, it underscores how, how much some of these people are just gullible fools, right? Because we, we know we're not doing that stuff. So we read it and we're like, Okay, I mean, yeah, the, this therapist believes this, along with dozens of other uh, bizarre things um, they shouldn't be practicing, right? I think one of the things that conspiracy therapists like to say is that we're in denial of child abuse. And let me be the person to just say we are not in denial of child abuse. Child abuse is horrific. It happens. It happens way too often. And it needs to be stopped. Um, I think it's a common thing for them to be like your skepticism about things like satanic ritual abuse things like even things like reptilian baby breeding and all of all of these conspiracy theories this is you know this is indicative of an agenda to protect perpetrators when in reality we are we're concerned for victims of abuse we're concerned for victims of abuse of conspiracy therapy and I think this this narrative is kind of it's something that they like to to point at us and say, kind of like a catch all statement. Well, you're just saying abuse doesn't happen. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying, you know, we're saying, look at the science. What's the science of memory? And 
what does mainstream science even say about memory and trauma, you know, memory for traumatic events, particularly people who suffer from PTSD, it's intrusive. You, there's no scientific evidence that you repress your memories. And we're not talking about recall. So if I were to say, you know, Evan, remember when we did this thing and you recall a memory, even though you weren't particularly thinking about it at this moment, that's not, you didn't repress the memory. You just weren't actively thinking about it. And, you know, even if I think a lot of them say, well, what if we prove repressed memories are real? And even if that were to be proven, the fact is that these kinds of therapies, recovered memory therapy, where they use leading questions and put you in a very suggestible trance-like state, these types of therapies can still result in implantation of false memories, and it's still dangerous. And on a, on a day-to-day basis, it's very easy to implant a false memory into someone you know. I'm going to walk you through a, a short way of how to do that. Pick something that's vague. Say something that's incredibly unobtrusive. Something that you may have both done together. Give your recollection of, recollection of the events with authority and sincerity. Continue this. Your person you're talking to may say, I don't remember it that way. But in many cases, they'll go, oh yeah, I believe so. And there you have laid the groundwork for an implanted or recovered memory of an event. It's very easy to manipulate other people's memories and our recollection or recollection, recollect, recollection. There you go. (laughs) recollection of events and it's not something that we do intentionally most of the time we just all see things slightly differently but there are people who can manipulate that particular weakness in our ability to remember things for their own gain and when you are coming into a situation being like i think most people i think there are satanists doing crazy blood rituals in the woods and i am going to make sure i find the truth And if someone is vague enough, I can lead them down the path to say that there were Satanists in the woods doing this to them. And some are not nearly as subtle as that. They will just flat out say, oh, I think you have been part of a cult. Or I think you have been ritually abused, even if you have not really opened the conversation in a way that would suggest that you have some past ritual abuse trauma which by and large never has actually occurred. Uh, But yeah, it's memory is faulty. And trying to say things are true and predicate them on that fact is unprofessional. It is not scientific. And it is entirely at the discretion of the person's agenda of who is saying that you have recovered a memory or they're trying to lead you to recovering a memory. And it's, I don't mean to cast doubt on this, but you do need to be informed of people who use certain tools and methodology and follow in the footsteps of certain professionals when you are looking for a therapist, looking for a psychiatrist. These things matter. And grave action is filling a very big gap in trying to make that easier for you to avoid people who do very dangerous things. 
Yeah, I find a great way to demonstrate that false memories are an actual thing um, is to point out the Mandela effect, right? And not only does that show that our memories are not perfect, but we can also have sort of collective false memories, which is something that very much sustains uh, satanic panic and all of its uh, all of its derivatives. Do you remember um, Nelson Nelson Mandela? Nelson Mandela. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember him dying in prison? I in the eighties. I because think, I do, right? It's it's interesting. Yeah, that one doesn't work for me because I was I wasn't born yet. Um, <laughs> Shazam. But the Berenstein Berenstein Bears mm. one gets me. And there's a few others uh, that you know I'm 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 just like everyone else. That's like you know it, it used to be spelled differently. Yeah, these things are heavily memes, but it, it's a real side effect of how our brains work, and people will capitalize on it. And it's something that leads that needs greater exploration, but it needs rigorous, controlled exploration, not someone subjecting you to this experimentation. And that is the difference here, is that a lot of this is predicated on people trying to make a name for themselves in mental health. Mm-hmm. taking terrible actions against people that they are treating and it is just objectionable in every which way and we have some very clear and recent examples of this which we will get into in a later episode i'm not giving a spoiler on this because there is a person i definitely want to talk about and there are far more than we ever get to publicly talk about the majority of cases that we hear about don't end up being published on our website for various reasons. We hear we hear from people all the time. Right. So the typical case, um, I think this actually goes in a couple different ways, but I will I will try to summarize what I think is sort of the the mean episode of what happens. So in recovered memory therapy or any of the other types of therapy that conspiracy therapists will use, so a patient will usually start off in a rough spot in their life, um, something has happened. Often they do have real trauma. They do have real traumatic events and they're often depressed. They're despondent. They're discouraged. They have many, many different health difficulties. I mean, you have the whole, not to throw out the whole DSM, but you know, there's many different types of things that could be happening and going on with a person that would lead them to therapy. Even sometimes people will just go to therapy for relational difficulties, uh, difficulties with work, that sort of thing. And if they're seeing someone who we believe to be a conspiracy therapist, the therapy usually starts off pretty normal. Um, Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does, but usually it does. It starts off normal, like a normal therapist. Usually it tends to be of a more of a psychoanalytic theme. and the therapist usually will start saying things like, you know, your, your symptoms really line up with someone who has been abused. Have you been abused? If the person says yes, then well, okay, well, let's talk about this abuse. If the person says no, you know, a lot of the times the therapist will go, you know, you know there's a lot of people who repress their abuse and they don't remember it. And, you know, if the patient accepts this, they the therapist can say something like you know even if you can't remember what happened you know perhaps something happened that you don't want to remember and this is this is a leading a leading statement 
And the person who is doing the therapy, the therapist, the counselor, the social worker, whoever it may be, the Christian counselor, they are in a position of authority. And this is a really, really important thing to remember that they are in a position of authority over the patient and the patient has placed their trust in this person. So they're going to listen. They're not going to completely poo-poo it and say, you know, this is not, I don't believe you. They're going to, they're going to give it some thought and maybe they'll go home. They'll think about it and they'll come back and they'll say, you know, I, I really don't think I was abused. And the therapist might go, well, you know, there's, there's ways to find out if you've been abused and there's many different ways this can go. There's regression therapy, there's, you know, memory hypnosis, there's experiential therapy, things like, you know, catharsis therapy, you know, hit, hit a pillow until you get so angry and you'll remember uh, things like body therapy Well, they'll press on a certain part of your body. Um, if you have pain and let's say you have pain in your legs, they'll press on your legs and they'll ask, you know, what, what memories are coming up for you? And a lot of the time people, this, this doesn't work. It's pseudoscience. So people will, you know, make up something, not make up something, but they'll confabulate, which basically means they'll believe that they're recovering memories and they'll believe that these methods are really getting into their subconscious and they're pulling out memories. And the more this continues, the more false memories the person develops, we often see blatant deterioration in the patient. They become suicidal. They start cutting out their family members. They oftentimes lose their jobs. They oftentimes lose their children. They exhibit suicidal ideation. They get hospitalized. They engage in self-mutilation. It's a really horrible path. One thing that I think is important to emphasize is that on the part of the therapist, there's no malice required, right? So in some cases, it is hard to give them the benefit of the doubt and think that they really are trying to do their, provide their best uh, form of therapy. But in the vast majority of cases, we genuinely believe that the therapists think that they're doing good work, that they're really helping people by using these techniques that they really do believe these people have been victimized and repressed the memory and that the therapist recovered it. Because oftentimes we hear from people who, you know, kind of paint this really simplistic narrative of a therapist just out to harm their patient or whatever, do whatever they need to do in order to write the next uh, hit book or gain a following or, you know, no notoriety in some way. We, and, and that's a very cynical view, but it's also... It's similarly frustrating, I think, that none of that is required to have the situation that we have today. This, uh, you know, my conception at least is that pretty much everybody has more or less the best of intentions. It's just things are going horribly wrong because we're not listening to the science. Very much. And it's easy to delude yourself on what could be the right path. And when you are in an echo chamber of people who tend to align with the same beliefs, it becomes even easier to go down a very harmful, terrible path, which is why we often, which is why we are very dead set against the ISSTD, because it acts as an echo chamber for very extreme harmful views in therapy and the discussion of trauma, and they openly 
support very extreme views on the existence of organized ritual abuse of people who have sat satanic abuse in their history even in the 21st century people still doing these things being like my patient is believes that they're going to die on a certain date because of this cult that we have discussed at length and you're just like how is this still happening in its echo chambers it, it's not wanting to engage with changing methodology changing understanding and from a tst perspective our understanding of the world should be based on the best scientific understanding of the world which means that these things are always changing and our duty is to constantly understand them learn and shift with how we understand the world and when we don't do that it causes broader conflict and which is very evident in the fields that we discuss and it's just heartbreaking in so many ways i i I see what people are going through and I wanted to become involved in grave action to help inform people about how they can prevent this from happening to them or how they can seek help if it has happened to them. It, it's so incredibly impactful and important. I'm getting choked up about it because it's like it really it really matters. <laughs> And there, there's, there's not really another group doing this now. We, this is the last one. And it's predicated on the very obvious point that like, don't take things as doctrine forever. Things should change. Understanding of mental illness, of science, of medicine, anything should change as we learn more, not regress. And it feels like things are regressing. Is that a pun? Just kidding. Yes. Um, uh, I want to add also, we're not speaking on behalf of TST as a whole, but we are, you know, obviously uh, the leadership of the Gray Faction campaign. So we are speaking on behalf of Gray Faction. Yeah. And I, and I mean that I'm only bringing in the, the tenants of TST into this because it does inform how Gray Faction was formed. But it does we do not directly speak for Gray Faction? For we speak for Gray Faction, we do not speak for TST. Uh, I'm, I'm mostly just, and I, I am also a minister of Satan, so sometimes I will just default to bringing things back into tenants, and I don't mean to. It's just a, a, a line of reasoning that I have adopted into my 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 system. For sure. So one thing I'll add before I talk about kind of the history of Gray Faction. Really, the only thing that you have to accept in order to understand why we do what we do is that false memories can be created during therapy. Really, that's it. Whatever you believe about multiple personality disorder, dissociative identity disorder, repressed memories, really, if you believe that or you accept um, that people come to believe, frankly, impossible things and things that didn't happen in the course of recovered memory therapy, then you understand that there are victims of that process, that that's who we're advocating for. Of course, there's a whole bunch more to it. There's so many more aspects that we advocate for reform on. But really, when you cut it down into just the nuts and bolts, that's pretty much it. So I want to talk about the history of Gray Faction a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the quote-unquote decline of the satanic panic. So as I mentioned, primarily, it's thought of 
as, as being something that occurred during the 80s and 90s with a pretty steep decline around the mid 90s. So you might be familiar with all those kind of VHS tapes about uh, subliminal messages in rock music, right? Telling you to worship the devil. You might be familiar with the uh, daytime talk shows having on uh, these former high priests of Satan who, you know, will talk about how they stabbed people to death and whatnot. You might have seen uh, even clips of patients who claim to have recovered memories of satanic ritual abuse. Around the mid-90s, there was a pretty severe downturn in that sort of thing. One of the most famous examples of uh, pro-satanic panic propaganda uh, was the Geraldo Rivera special. I believe it was called Satan's Underground. And believe it or not, but Geraldo actually apologized for that episode. And this kind of occurred in the context of former patients suing their therapists for implanting false memories. Some of those lawsuits were successful and some of those therapists lost their licenses. There were changes in the diagnosis, uh, usually tied to satanic ritual abuse cases. As I mentioned, it was formerly called multiple personality disorder, changed to dissociative identity disorder. Um, there was definitely a change in the tide and, and in the attitude as cases like McMartin collapsed under under their own lack of evidence. As the FBI special report uh, by Ken Lanning came out that that you know revealed there was really no evidence for these kind of systematic ritual abuse claims. So there was a, there was a severe downturn, and and we don't want to underplay that or, or downplay that rather. But it didn't go away. Organizations like the ISSCD continued to exist. Many of the practitioners responsible, not only for the theoretical basis of uh, you know the repressed memories and recovered memory pseudoscience, they stayed in practice as well. Their theories were still being promoted and propagated. Just kind of went underground a little bit with no real sanctions um, in place. And as we mentioned, that's kind of what we fight for today. So the rise of satan, uh, sorry, the the rise of gray faction. Uh, really predates uh, TST. So around the uh, mid-2000s, Lucian, uh, co-founder of Satanic Temple, began attending conference, mental health conferences. And he was researching the Satanic Panic and you know, was fascinated by it and by the claims of these widespread Satanic cults that rule the world but are completely invisible at the same time. And uh, you know, he, he attended conferences like the Smart Conference and saw licensed mental health professionals talking about these uh, satanic cults. That sort of launched him on a, a sort of journalistic endeavor to, to study these things and write about them. He went on to found a, co-found the Satanic Temple. I believe that was 2012, but someone correct me if I'm wrong about that. And the work that he had been doing in researching and exposing the satanic panickers was folded into TST. Um, and of course, that is what we now call the Gray Faction Campaign. We have had some successes, many uh, frustrations and, and failures, but some successes as well that we want to point out. One example is uh, we've successfully stripped continuing education credits from the Survivorship Conference in 2020. I believe it was 2020. Um, so we filed a complaint with the American Psychological Association. They took it up with the sponsor for the conference and uh, the sponsor dropped the conference. So Survivorship Conference has many figures affiliated with the ISSTD. They're just a little bit more open about their bizarre conspiracy theories. So you can actually watch Survivorship presentations right on YouTube. 
they have a, uh, a YouTube channel. You can watch the videos and see what they're saying. They're talking about the most unhinged conspiracy fantasies you can imagine. And the leader of that organization is Neil Brick, who we talked about earlier, who claims to believe that he was a brainwashed Illuminati super soldier trained to kill people. So that was one victory that we had. Another one uh, was that we filed a complaint against a survivorship and ISSTD affiliated therapist named Allison Miller. She was promoting really strange claims at the at survivorship conferences, and our complaint un- underlined them. She claimed, for example, that satanic cults uh, have children sign contracts with Satan. She made sure to point out that the contracts are not legally binding um, for anybody wondering. And uh, we filed the, the, a complaint with the licensing board up in British Columbia, and they as a result, she resigned and turned in her license. Um, she can no longer call herself a psychologist. This was primarily because she wasn't even supposed to be delivering presentations in the first place, given her licensure status. She was semi-retired at the time, and now she's fully retired. We were also told that if she ever wishes to return to the profession, she would have to face the substance of our complaint. And uh, we're pretty certain that she won't do that. Um, So those are a couple recent um, victories that we've had. Uh, Another honorable mention, we had our first annual conference this past April. We'll be having uh, more of those uh, every year moving forward. We had a great panel of experts on QAnon, on the um, satanic panic back in the day, some uh, journalists like uh, Lenny Flatley, and of course, uh, some of our own speakers from, from within TST and within Gray Faction. So that was a great success as well. Um, if I can quote Borat for a second. And that, I believe, is our uh, our first episode of, of the Gray Faction podcast. We did it. Many more we, to come. We did it. And we'll, we'll sound less like nerds, perhaps, on the next one. Probably not. No, we're, we're utter fucking Definitely nerds. not. <laughs> uh, you, can, you, can, you can bleep me there. I'm, I'm still me. I'm still going to swear. Uh, but <laughs> take it away, Sam. So in closing, we'd just like to say if anything we've mentioned or discussed in this podcast has resonated with you, if you are a victim of a conspiracy therapist, if you're a therapist, if you have any comments, anything you would like to say to us, feel free to reach out through us or to us through our contact form on grayfaction.org contact, which will also be in our show notes. Aww.